0: Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. This is the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. Our eighth episode is from a sermon Spencer Porter preached on August 18th, 2019. The sermon was on Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29 through chapter 12, verse 2. Thanks for joining us. So this is my first Sunday morning to preach. Uh, i done Sunday nights before. I've done Wednesday nights. Um, I asked JP how long this should be. And he said, try to keep it to at least 45 minutes so that everyone appreciates uh, the length of his normal sermons. But he texted me this morning and he said, hey, I'm praying for you. And I said, oh, no, is that this morning? (laughs) And and he texted me back and said that John Deloney always does that. So that's not a new joke. Uh, But I did tell him that he shouldn't be praying for me. He should be praying for all of you guys when I start bringing down the, the hellfire and brimstone um, that it will be too out of the ordinary for you guys. Um, the Old Testament reading that we have this morning from Isaiah and the psalm that we read and then later the, the reading from Luke that we're going to have, they all seem really judgmental. Um, or they were all about judgment anyway. The the passage and Isaiah that Matt read was all about a vineyard that was being built up and then Isaiah warns the, the people of Israel and the men of Judah that if they don't turn things around that God is going to uproot them as that vineyard. Um, then the song that Prentis read was also about judgment. It seemed to be a song about that very prophecy which is really interesting because I think that the, the psalm was probably written before the, uh, before the prophecy in Isaiah. Um, but it would've, I would have loved to have actually heard of how that was sung out. Um, and then the reading that we're going to have later in Luke, we get a really... Um, we don't see that side of Jesus much where he talks about judgment, but he says that... Um, Uh, He comes to bring a fire on earth, and he wishes that it were already kindled, and he says that with an exclamation point. Um, However, the passage in Hebrews that goes along with these three other readings almost seems to be the opposite of a passage on judgment. Um, We're gonna we're gonna be reading from Hebrews 11 and a little bit in 12 in a little bit, Uh, but it seems to be or. That's the passage on what a lot of people call the uh, the Faith Hall of Fame or the Hall of Faith. Uh, and there's a pretty hot debate on the internet about whether or not we should actually refer to that passage as the Faith Hall of Fame or the Hall of Faith. Uh, but I'm going to choose to use those terms this morning because I think it fits in nicely. Um, before I get started, I do want to tell you guys another story about... Uh, judgment and a Hall of Fame, Um, and the irony is not lost on me that most of our baseball fans are on a baseball trip this weekend, and I'm, of all people, going to tell a baseball story, Um, but this one's for uh, for Tim and for Danny Ray, and definitely for Susan and any of you other baseball fans that maybe get lost in the crowd today. Um, I know JP could probably give these statistics and tell this story from memory, but uh, I can't. So I went to Wikipedia to make sure that I have my back straight. That makes two teachers in the ring nervous that I went to Wikipedia to find facts. Um, but I liked their summary, so I'm just gonna read this summary um, from Wikipedia. Peter Edward Rose, born April 14, 1941, also known by his nickname Charlie Hustle, is an American former professional baseball player and manager. Rose played in the Major League in Major League baseball from 1963 to 1986 and managed from 1984 to 1989. Rose was a switch hitter and is the all-time MLB leader in hits, which he had 4256. Games played 3,562, at-bats, 14,053, singles, 3,215, and outs, he had 10,328. He won three World Series rings, three batting titles, one Most Valuable Player Award, two Gold Gloves, and Rookie of the Year Award. He also made 17 All-Star appearances at an unequivocal Five positions. He played at second baseman, left fielder, right fielder, third baseman, and first baseman. Rose won both of his gold gloves when he was an outfielder in 1969 and 1970. In August of 1989, which was his last year as manager and three years after retiring as a player, Rose was penalized with permanent ineligibility for baseball amidst accusations that he gambled. On baseball games while he played and managed the Reds. The charges of wrongdoing included claims that he bet on his own team. In 1981, the Baseball Hall of Fame formally voted to ban those on the permanently ineligible list from induction, after previously excluding such players by informal agreement among the voters. After years of public denial, Rose admitted in 2004 that he did bet on baseball and the Reds. The issue of Rose's possible reinstatement and election to the Hall of Fame remains contentious throughout baseball. Um, So contrary to popular belief, I do enjoy baseball. Um, I'm certainly not quite the the fanatic that my wife is, but I like it. Um, Growing up, my buddy Andy Mankin, uh, who who played baseball in Little League and all through high school, he had three posters in his room. Uh, One was the, the rap group the, the hip-hop group, because I, I, to sure, I don't know what the difference is between hip-hop and rap, but we can talk about that later. Um, uh, the, the hip-hop group run DMC, um, and he had a poster of number three, Dale Murphy, and he had a poster of Pete Rose. Um, and the thing that I remember most about Pete Rose was how cool it would be when he would slide head first into the base when he was trying to beat the pickoff throw when he was stealing a base. Um, and I always just thought that was really neat. Uh, but certainly, Pete Rose is not the only player whose, uh, whose sins have marred and tainted his baseball career. Um, Susan gave me a, a partial list. Um, <laughs> Jose Canseco, Sammy Sosa, and Mark McGuire are all baseball players whose Sins will, will have permanently tainted their record. Um, but don't worry, I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna tell all of their stories. If you're curious about why they were tainted, there are a few people here that can answer that question. And Susan would love to talk baseball with anybody at this church. Um, so just like baseball, the Bible is full of sinners—people um, who did things that, if it were up to us, and certainly the Baseball Hall of Fame would have kept them from making this list in Hebrews 11 that we sometimes call the, the Faith Hall of Fame um, and that we read about and that we call our great cloud of witnesses. Um, Hebrews is one of my favorite books. Hebrews and Romans, those seem to cycle through my life at different times. And um, the, the authorship is traditionally attributed to Paul, although there's also a pretty hot debate on this one, too. And recently, a lot of scholars are attributing that to Apollos, who you read about in Acts. But the truth is, we just don't know. Um, But either way, the author draws a lot on the Hebrew scripture, um, the Old Testament, um, and the the people that we read about in Hebrews 11. And he makes an excellent case, and he lays out the case that Jesus is the perfect representation of what the author refers to in chapter 10, verse 1, as the shadow of the good things that are coming. In other words, all the things that are under the law and all of the things um, that are in the Old Testament are just a shadow of the things that Christ accomplished and is still accomplishing with us. Um, So kids... William, this is when you need to start listening. Have any of you ever done shadow puppets? There you go, William. William, what's your favorite shadow puppet? A dog. That's my favorite one too. Um, it's I think you do it like this. Yeah, Larry's doing it. Larry showed everybody with the dog. Um, I, I I had to look up shadow puppets because it's been a long time since I have done shadow puppets, and I'm not going to do any shadow puppets. Um, but you can do a deer. Or you can do a swan. Um, But I think that we all recognize that the shadow on the wall is not actually a dog or a swan or a duck. It's not actually that real thing. So it's like that with uh, with the law and the things that were set up under the law. Those things are the shadow. And Christ is the real thing. So Jesus would be like the duck or the dog or... The swan and not the shadow that is on the wall. Um, before we dive into Hebrews 11, <laughs> he needed to know what a shadow but this person told me so. Um, before we dive into Hebrews 11, I want to give a, a, a brief summary of the book just to kind of lend some context to Hebrews 11. Um, so in Hebrews 1, The author sets up that Jesus is superior to the angels. He goes on in Hebrews 2 to talk about how Jesus was made like one of our brothers. Um, And he writes in 2, starting in verse 11, Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in them. And again, he says, here am I. The children of God has given to me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. So the the author just sets up there that Jesus is our brothers and that he came and he was flesh and blood. In chapter 3, he sets up that Jesus is greater than Moses. In chapter 4, I really like this notion that uh, he sets up that the Sabbath rest that we have through Christ is greater than the Sabbath rest that was given to us by God through Moses under the law. In 4 and 5 and going on into 6, he sets up that Jesus is the great and a perfect high priest. Um, I really like the comparison that is made in in 7, where, where the author compares Jesus to Melchizedek, who was a priest and a king, and sets up that Jesus is also a perfect high priest and a perfect king. And I'm going to read a little bit. Uh, starting in 7.1. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness, which I find interesting. Then also, king of Salem, which means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning or end of life. Like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever, which is what makes Jesus the perfect high priest, because you have the other high priests that that live and die and had to make offerings for their own sins. Um, Jesus, the perfect high priest, lives forever, with no beginning, with no end, uh, and without sin, so he does not have to make the sacrifices for himself. In chapter 8, the author goes on to talk about how Jesus' covenant is more perfect and more permanent than the the covenant that was set up under the law. In chapter 8, verse 7, he writes, For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. So just kind of setting up how the the new covenant is more perfect than the old covenant. Um, In chapters in chapter 9, and in chapter 10, the author starts to set up about how heaven is the perfect tabernacle. How the tabernacle that the Hebrews had that God set up under Moses uh, was a representation or just a shadow of what heaven would look like. And I know in Dave's class we, um, we talked about that extensively one Sunday. In chapter 9, uh, the author goes on to talk about the blood of Christ and how. It's more perfect than the other sacrifices. And in chapter 10, he sets up that Christ is the perfect sacrifice. Um, in ten thirteen, he writes, Since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them in their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. So one sacrifice for all time. Um, and then I'm going I'm to go back to 9 um, look at verse 13 and 14 just because I think this is really neat. Uh, <clears throat> the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. So what what that's talking about is how Moses would have to take the blood of a bull and a heifer and he would dip the hyssop in it and he would go around and sprinkle The blood on the people in the congregation And I was just thinking about how gross That would be if if JP one Sunday morning Brought a bowl of blood and stirred it up And just went down the aisle and started Splashing that on everybody Um, But then so the the author goes on In verse 14 how much more Then will the blood of Christ Who through the eternal spirit Offered himself unblemished to God Cleanse our conscience From acts that lead to death So that we may serve the living God and I thought about that, but then every, every Sunday morning, we actually take the trays of the blood, and we go down the aisles, and we take the cups of blood, and we, we drink those so that the blood of the sacrifice, we take it in, and it becomes part of us. And I just like how much more perfect that act that we do every Sunday morning is more perfect than the act of of Moses having to go through and sprinkle the blood on the, the congregation of the Hebrews. I just thought that was really cool. Um, so that then gets us to chapter 11, which, um, don't worry, I think we're about halfway there. I'm not just getting started. Um, <laughs> okay. So in chapter 11, we're given a list by the author of lots of imperfect sinners that God has redeemed by their faith in Jesus Christ. Um, And I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to start reading in chapter 11, verse 29. And I am going to throw in some of my own commentary because I just like to remind myself how these members of the, the Hall of Faith Um, are in fact imperfect sinners uh, even though that is not mentioned in the text here so starting verse 29 by faith the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land but when the Egyptians tried to do so they were drowned and we remember just a few chapters later in Exodus after this event that's when the people build a golden calf and start to worship it like it's God Uh, by faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Um, I think I may have been a little late to the party on this, but I I really just realized a couple of years ago, this was never taught to me in Sunday school, that the spies were probably not at Rahab's because her soup was good. I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) <laughs> and what more shall I say I do not have time to tell you about Gideon or Barak, or Samson who if you read about Samson good luck finding something good about Samson um, not a really moral character uh, Jephthah David who we are all familiar with that list of sins Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and and flouted foreign enemies women received back their dead raised to life again others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the desert and the mountains, and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Um, I just I love that that whole list, it talks about their faith in the thing that they didn't even get to see. Every one of those people died before Christ came, yet they had their eyes fixed on Him. Now, I'm not... I'm not saying that moral character isn't important. Um, we're going to take a look at that in, uh, in chapter 13 in just a minute. Um, but I'm going to read on in 12 verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that is so easily entangled, and let us run with perseverance and the race marked out for us. So these people, in verse 39, they were committed for their faith and not their morals. In verse, I don't know what verse, that. In verse 34, the author talks about their weakness was turned to strength. Um, at work camp this summer, every night, we would go to Redivo over at Princeton. And one night, there was a young lady who was one of the interns there that gave the thought and she talked about Moses and how Moses was, how Moses was. When he encountered the burning bush, he was afraid, and he kept giving excuses. He talked about how weak, of, uh, how weak he was at being a speaker, and how he was unworthy of doing this. And she made the point that that is why she thinks that God chose Moses, because if God chooses the powerful and the mighty and those who those who seem like they are powerful, then his strength could be attributed to them. But what God does is he chooses those who are weak, who are unlikely, who don't have the greatest moral character to be his heroes because he can then say that his strength is shown through those people. So I'm going to continue on in in verse 2 of chapter 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Um, when when J.P. and Beth and... Um, I think it was two girls at the time. When they first joined us, um, my father-in-law, uh, Susan and Marianne's dad, and Jade and Lake and Edgar Allen, and Sarah, and Savannah, and Mason's grandfather, and I think there are six other grandchildren, but you guys don't know them, so I'm not going to listen to them Um He came to visit one Wednesday night, and when we introduced Donnie and JP, Donnie told JP a story that I'm sure that JP's dad, Carl, had told him probably a dozen or so times. Um, but. JP's dad, Carl, and <coughs> and Mary Ann's dad grew up together in the same little town in Alabama. They went to school together. They played on the same neighborhood baseball team. Um, in fact, Donnie gave Carl his first baseball club. Um, and so as, as Donnie was telling this story, he said that uh, he and some of the other boys had invited Carl to church. Carl started going to church with them and eventually was baptized into Christ. And and Donnie uh, was was sharing this with J.P. and just telling him how excited he was that he played a part in helping bring Carl to faith. Um, And then, coming full circle, uh, this summer at camp, after class one morning, um, J.P asked Jay to stick around for an extra minute and said, Hey, Jay, do you uh, this is going to be your senior year. It's kind of a that's kind of a big deal. Do you give much thought to being baptized? he um, said so at that point, Jay, Jay kind of teared up and she said, Yeah, of course I think about getting baptized. I just always thought that it would be my grandfather. Um, and it was that discussion with JP that led to Jay and Edgar Allen getting baptized last Sunday. And I thought, as, <clears throat> as I think about that story, how neat things come full circle with our own cloud of witnesses. How it was Donnie and some boys inviting Paul to come to church, and it was Carl raising J.P., and, and then the faith of J.P. sharing that, and then having that conversation with Jade. I'm sure you guys can see how that... That comes full circle, um, and it's and it's Donnie, and it's Carl, and it's the Eubanks, and it's Don and it's the Grills and it's the Crouches, and it's Judy, and it's the Schumachers and the Gensandys. They are our cloud of witnesses, in the same way that uh, that Moses and Aaron and Rahab. Gideon, they together along with our own cloud of witnesses share us share with us their faith in and they keep their eyes on Jesus and it's, and it's our cloud of witnesses, as I look around this room I, it is the people that i just listed that is the reason that most of us are sitting in these pews um, when we were just college students and we showed up and we all had, as Krill likes to talk about, those, those kids with long hair and earrings and tattoos. And the, the very people that, that should have maybe shown us a little bit, welcomed us in like we were their children, and they are our proud witnesses. fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God John when he opens his gospel he writes that in the beginning was the word and the word was God the word was with God Um, and I think that we all recognize that He's talking about Jesus there. Jesus was there in the beginning. He was there all through the Hebrew Scripture. And He is is here with us now. He is the author of our faith because He was there in the beginning writing this story. He is greater than the angels. He is greater than Moses. His Sabbath rest is greater than the Sabbath rest that was given to the Hebrews. He is the great and perfect high priest and king and he is the perfect sacrifice um, and in chapter 13 of Hebrews the author tells the Hebrews they should do in response to this. So I'm going to read, um, in closing, I'm going to read from Hebrews 13, starting in verse 1. Keep on loving each other, brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. Remember your leaders, skipping down to verse 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ did the same yesterday, today, and forever to skip up to verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of your lips, and confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such a sacrifice God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them and their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. That would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. So, what does he say to do? He says to love each other as brothers, entertain strangers, remember those in prison, be content with what you have, remember your leaders and imitate their faith. Offer a sacrifice to God of praise. Do good and share with others. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority and to pray. So if there's any need that you would like to express, it is Jesus who invites. So please come forward as we stand and sing. There's the You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash ackland.org. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.